Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on our panel, we have Alan Weima. Hello, hello. We have Sasha Wolf. Hello, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Brian Underwood. Brian, do you want to say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Brian Underwood. I'm a developer from Stockholm, Sweden, and yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, we're excited to have you. You wrote this article about how far you can push a gen server, which is always fun, right? It's like, okay, yeah, what are the limits here? And I'm kind of curious what prompted this, right? You kind of talk about how you did it, but I'm I'm not sure that I caught what made you think, ooh, let's see if we can break gen servers. Yeah, I think I, I think I sort of realized that I didn't, like, I kind of understood gen servers and I was like, okay, I get the concepts and I've been using them for a little while and... I can sort of make things happen, but usually it's not like, it's just the normal like stuff, getting things done. It's, it's nothing extreme. And so I was like, I wonder, I wonder how, how far I can take this. And it's just, I think just me realizing that I I never really tried that before. So how did you decide to go about this? I mean, I I can see the app that you built, but do you want to kind of give people an idea of of what you put together and then we can talk about, yeah, how we can uh, hurt Elixir? Yeah. So I just like, I created a new I think, I, I think it was a Phoenix app just because I'm like, well, oh no, I could, because I wanted to use LiveView. So I, I created a Phoenix app and I created this game gen server that would sort of take in the requests and then there could be sort of clients. So there's other gen servers that are like either an actor gen server that just sort of like, it's like the simplest AI that you can have. It just moves around one space at a time. And so it'll send a message to the game server like, hey, move me to this position. And then there's also live view. So you can sort of open up your HTML web page and that'll have its own process that's managing the, the web page that you're looking at. And that when you hit the arrow keys, the idea was that it can, you can move, you know, in the same way that the actors do, but sort of more purposefully. And so the game server was there to sort of like take in those requests and sort of deal with like, okay, I'm going to record this person's now here, this person's not here, you know, and then keep track of everything and then, you know, send updates to say, you know, here's what. Uh, here's here's like a small map of like it's a it's a really big map and so I'm just going to show you a little portion of it like where where you are so you can see everything around you as you move around and then as far as like taking it and pushing it I I basically was just like okay I'll, I'll I can create like a handful of of these actors and so that's that's pretty easy and so I'll just try like okay well what if I create ten or what if I create twenty or what if I create thirty and then eventually at some point I think it was around like at the beginning like seventy or eighty or something everything just kind of you know, slowed down and, and stopped and wasn't working very well. And so that was kind of how I started. We can get, there's like so many details about like how, how I sort of took it from there, but that was sort of the beginning of it. Yeah. It almost sounds like you were trying to figure out how to DDoS the 
right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I, I sort of, I wrote it myself and I guess like it wasn't really, I didn't write any tests for it just because I was playing around, but I, in, in the way of like test-driven development, I was like, okay, I'm not, I, I can see that I, every time, every time I want to move, I send a message to the gen, the game server and then that sends out an update to everyone who's a client, right? And so if they have these actors, which actually I, I didn't mention, they're moving like once every second. So every second, if you have like a hundred actors, they're sending, you know, it's sending out a message every second, let's say what is it like, like 10,000 messages a second um, that it has to send to update everybody on everybody's movements. And so that's like an obvious problem, but I kind of knew that would be a problem, but I was sort of like, I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to start with like the most naive thing and like, say like, what does that look like? And then, you know, take it step by step. And then I had sort of my notes off to the side. So like, I wanted to like sort of do it really thoroughly and sort of be like, okay, I, I tried this and here's what I found. And I tried this and here's what I found and tried this. And then at the end, I sort of like, just basically had to turn that into a blog post. So, so you started, you, you said you, you started with like 80 actors and then it started to get slow, right? Like, so maybe let's jump ahead. Like where, where did you end up with what was the number of actors and like maybe users you could push this to without it breaking? Yeah, so I think it was, I got it up eventually to like 15,000, I think, actors. Yeah, which was like, it sometimes it, it sort of felt like cheating because it was well, like, not exactly, but it's sort of like, oh yeah, I just need to like do less work, <laughs> right? I'm just doing like inefficient work. And, but that's just how I, I mean, building any sort of, sort of system is like, I have a, I have a lot of experience with like building this, like, like maybe a lot of us, like JavaScript applications connecting to a backend web server. And I feel like it is just, it tickles my brain that, that what you're really doing in Elixir with gen servers is the same stuff, right? You just have clients and servers that are sort of managing things, but it's all in the same virtual machine. And so, yeah, it was, I was just kind of pulling, I, I just love how it was like pulling those same skills, but just sort of dealing with everything internally. And I, I think that the thing that actually struck me, I think part, part of the way through is like, it's using a lot of the same skills that from like web development and uh, browser and, and server. But I was also sort of like it stuck at a, a point or two because it was like, how much I'm writing the client code and I'm writing the server code and they're all in the same machine. So actually I, I think I can just trust the clients to like do things. Right. So like the clients know where they are at all times and they send a message saying like, I want to be at this position now, you know, and it's just moving by one position. Right. And I could, I could have the message that I'm sending to the server be like, move one position to the right or move one position to the left. But instead I was like, well, I can, I think I can trust the client because I'm writing all this code. So I'm just going to say, okay, now move to this position which is not something you could do with JavaScript. It's, so that was a turning point for me in, in mental thinking. Yeah, it make, makes sense. You don't have to deal with a messy outside world doing those those pesky things right. <laughs> you don't want exactly. them to do. <laughs> exactly. So uh, was there anything in your journey from like like 80 actors to like 10, 15,000, like any really strong learnings you had, especially like around gen service and maybe the beam, any, anything where like you maybe your your understanding changed or you learned something new? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I feel like it's like different things and and I can I'll talk about a couple of them, but I like the one thing that was like a thing that I realized sort of after the fact, I sort of released the blog post and it's, I like posted on Reddit and someone asked like, so what's your what's your like summary? And I was like, I don't really have a summary. I like I learned like a lot of bunch of little different things, but I'll I'll talk about like some of those things. Like I think as far as like so there's like performance and then just like figuring out the details of things. So for like performance, obviously I mentioned like if you if you send for every update, if you send an update out to everyone for everything, then it's it's like it just has a lot of work to do, right? You know, and it's it's 
pretty good that like it was handling it up to a certain point. It's just like, oh yeah, there's just a lot of work to do, but I'm going to do it. But so like one of the first things I think I did was sort of say like, okay, we have these actors and we have the, the, the real, the, the live view processes, which are the sort of players. And so in the, the server doesn't see the live view processes as like different really than the actors. It's just the messages coming in as far as it's concerned, really. Um, and they're just clients. And so I, I sort of made it so that there's sort of a registration step where originally I was just sending messages and having things go, but there's a registration step where you say like, okay, I don't care about getting updates or I do care about getting updates. Right. Um, so like the live view process, like needs the updates. It needs to be able to see the map and like, no, be able to draw it for the player, but the actors don't care. They're just every, every second they say, okay, move here now, move here now. And they, they just keep track of their position and nothing else. And so that like just by itself saved a lot of work because just, just the players and it was just me <laughs> testing as the one player needed the updates every time. But then like the next step was like, like, okay, now if I, I can scale that up, I don't remember how much it was, but maybe I can scale it up to like a thousand clients. Now, every second there's there actors, I should say, like there's like a thousand actors updating their position. And so that means I'm getting like a thousand messages to the player with updates. Right. And that was, that was fine, except that's like way more than was necessary. Right. And so you know, knowing that like you really kind of, your eye only needs to see like, what is it like 25 or 30 updates a second to make it sort of re- seem realistic. I sort of changed the, the game gen server. So it just, it just collects information and doesn't send anything out except for like once every, was it like just every once in every, every while. Right. And actually the thing that also was sort of a mental shift for me in that, that I, I sort of realized is that, so I set this up first. I, at one point I sort of changed it to like, okay, you send an, a, a move message and then you get the response back. And then that's, that's your, that's your map update. You get, you get the map update with the response and that's like a synchronous update. But at a certain point it was like, okay, just send your move. And then at another point you'll get, you'll be able to handle a message to say, okay, here's your, here's your map update. So that the live view process can get these, these things asynchronously. And that was inspired by like live view. Cause that's how live view works, right? You, you send down events and those, those can happen. And those are completely independent of like sending up the, the web, um, the web socket requests. So the thing that I, th- I thought was kind of cool also was that when I sort of slowed down the responses, I actually, I could only, I, I think I only updated like once every like five times a second for the players, because most of the time you're just updating the, the other actors and like the player doesn't actually know that the actors moved tw- 200 milliseconds ago. They just see like, okay, I see the actors updating. Right. And so like, it doesn't matter that like you're getting like a thousand updates in a second. It's just like, okay, here's, here's the the updates. But then also when the player sends their move message, like immediately they'll get a, they'll get a message back saying like, Hey, here's the update. So like when the player moves, they see that immediately. And that's a lot more important than like just seeing the, the like actors move because the player doesn't know when the actors are moving. Does that, that make sense? sense? I feel like that was it, a lot. <laughs> it was a lot, but I cannot see what, what, what you mean meant when you, when you said that it, mirrors a lot of like what we tend to do in like web servers and, and browsers because i mean especially around the 1000 updates per second right that's like classic the buffering technique where you say okay i don't want to push everything off uh, through the socket every time something changes so yeah i mean it makes sense for me i mean it's even in the name right it's gen service <laughs> it's servers is, is, is there so, so the, the metaphor and the, the similarities make sense. I wonder, like, anything of the things you learned, were you able to apply that to any, like, real-life scenarios, like at work, for example, where you say, oh, okay, now we have this gen server, and I, I can actually maybe optimize this because I learned this thing? Or is that 
too far-fetched? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I, I'm trying to think about that because like I'm unfortunately not using Elixir at the moment at, at work. And so like like those gen server lessons I couldn't really use. Yeah, I think like probably not so much because again, like I feel like at work, we're sort of not doing that. We're just sort of doing like the basic REST requests with like, you know, an admin interface and stuff. So that's kind of kind of basic. Maybe having a web circuit connection at work, even if it's not Elixir, <laughs> where you applied the same, the same things you learned, anything there, or is it mostly academical at this point? It's it's kind of it's kind of academic. Well, I mean, it's not like I think it's it's, it's super useful. Like, and we do have like a web socket for our admin sort of UI, and there's sort of I guess like I've been sort of reflecting on like questions of like like what do you need updates for in an admin response like. There's things where like we get, we have devices that we manage in our admin UI and like when the device has an update, like it's like, I just checked in and here's my latest metric or, or whatever. That's useful to sort of see like immediately. But then we also have just our normal like records then for the various devices and other things, users and things that you have in the system. And, and we have like, whenever those change, we see an update to that and that's cool. But it's, it's at the same time, it's like, you can also like reload the page. I feel like I've, I've been doing that sort of interface for like a decade or something, right. Where you just, you just have the data. And if you reload the page, you'll see the, the new, the new data. So like, you know, the, if, if I feel like there's, I'm still like, we're sort of wrapping my head around like, okay, what's the, what are good use cases for like live updates versus like, you don't need to sort of update things. Yeah. Like I would also say like, there was a, there was a talk I saw just recently where this guy talked about a computer company that he worked for, like having this problem with microservices and lots of like stuff going on that like, I can, I can give you the link and you can share it later if you want. But the sort of one of the conclusions they came to is like, okay, we're, we're dealing with an overload that whenever a request comes in, there's this whole pinging of all of these requests and things that it's super, super slow to get a response back. And so they're just like, okay, well, what if our microservices just updated the sort of main website services every time there's a change? And then it just keeps a local copy of the data. That's just the same as like having data in your browser, right? So like, where do you like it's it's okay if the data is somewhat stale as long as it's not too stale and in certain situations where like it doesn't matter that much that it's maybe 10 minutes stale or whatever yeah yeah it, it boils down to like caching and like who knows what and who needs to know what when but i think i feel like a lot of the problems we, we tackle in web development day to day basically can be boiled down to this right yeah absolutely Okay, so based on what you've learned, like, I mean, you deliberately went out to, to, to see how far you could push a gen server, right? But did you at some point come to maybe um, the realization that, yes, like, I mean, I'm doing this now for, for just for, for learning sakes, but if I now had to build this for real, I would maybe not use a single gen server or I would use a single gen server, but with this learnings, like, so when would you say, okay, Based on what I've learned, I'm, I'm, I can use a gen server, a single one in this case, but maybe not in that case. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the end, I was definitely sort of thinking like, okay, like, <laughs> what's the point of this? Like, what's, what can I use this for? Can't use this for? And that's, that's absolutely kind of what it was, I think. And it's like, I, I, the conclusion I came to with this particular project was like, I'm as a sort of plaything that I'm I'm playing with it but kind of it'll go up to as far as I, I can get it up to and then that's fine that, that that's sort of learning but like if I was actually trying to like build a game where a bunch of people were trying to connect and like do things then it kind of depends on like I mean it depends on like what I want the game to be it was like you know okay I, I want it to be able to handle 16 players at a time or I want it to be able to handle 500 players at a time 
And and I guess like the the thing that that was maybe a, something I didn't really say in the blog post, but it's sort of maybe a little bit of a cheat is like I was scaling the actors, which are much simpler to scale than like the players. The players like need map updates and and all this stuff. And so that would have you know that would maybe is a different thing to try is to seeing how many how many players I can get with like map updates. But but yeah, it sort of depends on like what what sort of game am I creating like. Do I want it to be a, a viral success and like be able to support lots of things? And if that's the case, then, you know, okay, what sort of, it, it kind of like, then it's a question of like, okay, what sort of compromises do I want to make? And I sort of mentioned at various points, like, okay, in certain cases, if I want to improve the performance, I can increase the timeout or I can do this thing or that thing, but, or I can like change instead of just having a move message. Um, I think I, I had the idea that I could do a like move message if you just want to move and a move and update if I want to get the update back like right away. Um, and I think that improved the performance a little bit. But these are things that like when I was just making a test, it's sort of like, it kind of seems ugly. And so I kind of don't want to do it because performance is not important, that important at the moment, right? But like if if I was doing it for real, maybe I would be like, okay, yes, I, I do want to be hacky because I want this to like stay up and I want it to work. But then of course I could like be like, okay, well, I'm going to split this into multiple gen servers where there's like, okay, there's 500 players on this server and 500 players on this server and on and on. Or it could be that there's a there's a gen server handling things like the move messages to, and then like it puts it into like an ETS table with the updates and then the the play the actors check in with that ETS table to sort of see like okay what's the position of things so they could sort of take some of the strain off the off the game server. So that's all things that like I feel like I didn't have enough information to make decisions, but like it would be it would be great to have like a real project to say like okay what what would actually be needed. Yeah, that, that, that goes a bit into like state management. There was an episode a while back where, where we talked about like how you can do state management on the beam. And then we also talked about, okay, like having it in the gen server, having it in an EKS table, when doing what. So if listeners haven't heard that yet, maybe feel free to, to listen to that because we, we talked about like, okay, what are the, what different access patterns might might require, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, um, I listened to that one. And like one thing that, is fascinating to me. And I feel like I haven't really like delved into this and maybe you've like had some experience with this because I'm, I'm super curious is like, I love, uh, you know, I, I think the the concept of, of what is it? Uh, encapsulation of functionality is really powerful. And I was like wondering, like, how would you encapsulate like a game server that maybe is taking in messages and it's storing things in a nets table. And then like other actors or players or whatever are checking in with this ads table like though they could just make queries directly to the ads table but it probably makes sense to have like functions in the game module that like do the queries for you so that everything's kind of encapsulated in that one module does, does that make sense yes yes we had some cases like that in the past in elixir in applications i've been working on and what we always did we had like this public API module basically, which also encapsulated calls to the gen server. So like mm. it, it, the calls to the, to that process represented basically through that model also happened in that model. And in the same fashion, access to the ATS table ha happened in that model. So like for the rest of the application, it was just a model to tell like, hey, I want to change something. I want to read something. And the implementation details at the end of the day, which the gen server and the ATS table are, were still like encapsulated in that model. So yeah, but that's personally how I would do it. And I always had good experience doing it that way. Right. And then you could switch it out for like, yeah, Postgres or Redis or whatever. And yeah, be... exactly. Like if, if push comes to shove, you can switch it out. Yeah. And it's only one place where you have to update things, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking like some ways to make this more interesting would be it's like some type of pub sub with different channels for different boards or different like spaces in the board. 
right? Like zero one, one, two or something like that, that you would like register, listening to different channels around you to see if you're going to have a collision coming up mm-hmm. and that may decrease the amount of messages coming through. I'm just thinking in my head, what, what could be ways that this could make sense? Maybe that could, I don't know. Yeah. So that, that would be like, I guess, so you're talking like PubSub, like either be a channel. <clears throat> yeah. PubSub. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Or, or sorry, each tile, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I'm still like, it's kind of end of day for me. It's about 10.30 p.m. over here. And I wake up at 5.30 every day. So I'm barely sleep as it is. Uh, so I'm reading your thing and, and I'm trying to grasp it. And uh, and I was just looking at the code over here and I'm understanding more and more. And I'm just trying to think of like ways that this could be really interesting because I've been trying to dig into video games and collisions and stuff like that. So that's why I'm thinking about this, like the different the grid pattern and collisions and stuff that would be interesting. Like, mm. But I, I mean, I, then you probably I, get into to do like modeling a game world in the small, right? Like let's say like if different areas, people can join different areas, and only inside of that area mm. you get updates. So probably a reason why a lot of games today look look how we do because I mean at the end of the day you can't keep the whole world in memory at all times and get updates for the whole world. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess you and that would be like I guess at any one point you might have like up to four different places that you'd look for like if you're on the corner of like some like game tiles or something yeah, yeah something like that i mean you could spin up a task like four tasks every time you move a place and just spread the message out mm. but yeah i i mean and then also these these pieces right they're not all timed that okay exactly now everybody do something right it's like depends on when they get spun up right so there is some kind of randomness to to all these pieces right yeah and actually that was one of the things that i sort of dealt with as i was getting to like more and more actors in the game is as I was spinning up the actors, they would they would all sort of send their initial register message. And then they would start with every second they would send their move message. And so with enough, you know, getting to the point where it's starting to like saturate the server's ability to handle things and it would start like queuing up and become sort of unsustainable. Like I was like, okay, well, what what are the ways that I could sort of deal with this? And that's like, yeah, one of the things was putting a delay in between starting up the actors of like, it was like 10 milliseconds, I think I tried so that, you know, they would all be kind of spaced out. And so the the messages would not necessarily so that they would be spaced out within the span of a second and that messages would be coming in at different times. I think that was, that was true too, but just so that like at the beginning, the server wouldn't get overwhelmed and have a stampeding herd to sort of have to unload. So yeah, there's definitely like things happening at different times, which I think is the, the amazing power of like gen servers and, and the beam is like you don't have to think about all that too much it just kind of works isn't that the annoying thing about elixir and erlang is spinning up a process is just too fast <laughs> annoying <laughs> why is that annoying <laughs> so annoying <laughs> elixir is too fast make it slower <laughs> what was that obviously thing? that was just that was just a joke obviously i think it's like about 10 microseconds or something and the process so i can imagine how quick and annoying that would be it probably depends on what you spawn. If you just literally do a spawn, then yes, that's going to be super fast. Like spawning a gen server does involve a little bit of overhead. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it has its callbacks. It needs to run through. And even if you don't do much work, it's still something needs to be done. So, yeah. You're, you're also talking about conflicts. And actually, I'll mention like something I've been working on sort of after the fact. I haven't checked the code in yet, um, but I probably will at some point is... I was like, okay, I have this like kind of game engine, like very loose, loosely defined game engine. Um, <laughs> and I was like, like my, my son is sort of getting into games and I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of a fun project to like say like, okay, you're the game designer. What, what should this game be? Like you give me my requirements 
and I'm going to go and try to build it. And so I've been doing that. He, he gave me sort of this, this sort of requirements of like, uh, how old is he? He's nine now. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, he, he's like, okay, you, you should be able to shoot paint and that should be able to knock out or, or uh, the like robots, uh, the actors, and then you get coins for knocking out the other uh, robots. And then you get more coins for knocking out a player with the paint. I couldn't, this is all like built with emojis in the live view view. And so I couldn't find a paint or a, a blob or whatever emoji. And so I ended up using a virus uh, <laughs> emoji, which which worked reasonably well. But but yeah, and so that that's really fun. And so the I, I had to deal with collisions, right? In, in having like paint, the paint hitting the other, any of the characters really. And so the way I've dealt with that so far is it's all, it's not that like, you know, I haven't done like the pub sub thing, although that like could totally be an interesting like way to do it. But in the game server, uh, gen server, I have like the data structure is, I think I already had made it like a map where the keys are the positions of the X and Y positions. And then I made it so that I, I think refactored it so that the values were an array of everything that was in that and that tile and things could be like start off as, as nil, but then if something moves onto there, then it can start, becomes like an empty array. I think that's what it was. But then the idea is like very, very quickly, you can, you can check whenever a move message comes in, you, you check that tile, you know, you check the tile that that player is moving to and you put them on that tile. And then you say like, okay, are there any other like PIDs? You know, I store the PIDs basically of all the, the clients that have connected to the server. And if, if there are any other PIDs, you basically send out a PID to all of the different clients saying, that there's a conflict or whatever, like uh, I think it's like despawn. I, I think I just said, and then and then they go and they handle like dying, basically. It makes sense to me. Makes sense. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. So now having pushed gen servers to like a, to a, to a limit, what's like the, the next thing you want to do? Any, anything else you want to want to break on the beam or anything? I want to know what the limit is. It sounds like you just <laughs> kind of slowed it way down. You didn't actually make it go no, and then die in a fire, right? I, yeah, it's a good point. Like, I actually don't know 
that I've necessarily like the limit is like based on like the code that I wrote. Right. And it's right. Like, I think I tried to make it relatively lean and like not doing very much, but probably it could, it could, a gen server could take more messages than I gave it, but I, I might have gotten close to the number of messages that I can handle and still manage a game. But like, if anybody is out there and like wants to look at my code and say like, oh no, you could do this and this, and that, that this would improve things. I would love to hear it. Cause um, I don't know if I've necessarily had a limit. Right. So you're, for you, the limit was it's, it's still doing the job and keeping up with the number of messages that are getting fed into it. Yeah. And like, and I couldn't like think of a way to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and also like, I, you know, I was like, and uh, I probably like, I have enough stuff for a blog post now is like another conflicting motivation. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. I can write about this now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, actually for another thing, like something that sort of drew my interest, I, do you know the, the YouTube channel Primer? No, I don't think so. I think that's it. So it's it's a really cool YouTube channel. And I think he has like different videos. Yeah, it's Primer. He has different videos, but he has like a number of videos where he has these little blob creatures that go around. You might have like seen the videos without knowing what it's called, but like, and there it's like a evolutionary simulations of like, okay, these creatures, like is one of his most recent ones. It's like these creatures go out to these trees during the day. And if there's a predator in the tree, the creatures get eaten. And if there's no predator, then they don't get eaten. And then they go home and they, the new, new creatures get created. And then, they, you know, every day they go out. Um, but then he, he sort of, that's the sort of basic simulation. And I think I'm missing some stuff, but the, the second step is like, okay, there are cowardly blobs and there are altruistic blobs and the, uh, the, oh, and I should say uh, the creatures all go to their house. They sort of get born, like three of them get born. And then the siblings all go together to the same tree. And then if the the predator will notice one of them and that that blob has sort of a choice to make of like whether they're going to like be cowardly and run away or they'll be altruistic and so the cowardly one runs away and their siblings get or any other any other person at the tree gets eaten and the altruistic one makes a lot of noise and and gets eaten but sort of the other ones basically get saved and they get to survive to the next day and so the question is like are the is this are these altruistic ones going to reproduce more and like end up with with more altruistic total in the population or are there going to be more cowardly ones and then he sort of takes it even further but i was like well this this kind of sounds like something where like you have a bunch of like little actors going around and they come to like this point and they have a little interaction with the with the predator that like determines whether or not they're going to survive or not and how they behave and then they go back home and then they come out each day and so like i was like i wonder like if that could be like simulated with processes and whatnot and i'm still sort of wondering about it i feel like it might still make more sense as like a like synchronous interaction i mean because there's no there's no particular need for performance in this case i'm just like okay what is this but what would it look like if it was processes with messages interesting sounds like conway's game of life except way harder yeah (laughs) yeah basically but yeah interesting very interesting i think that's also something that i've thought of for this game uh, that i want to maybe do eventually is like there's emojis in the game and there'd be like different sorts of emojis like there'd be like bacteria emojis that like act like Conway's game of life. And so they, they move around and do things. And then maybe there's robot emojis that move up, down, left, right. Maybe there's horse emojis that move in a up two over one or something. <laughs> yeah. I early in my career, there was a guy that I worked with and he would build life simulations, right? Where it was the, the red ones eat the blue ones and the blue ones eat the green ones and the green ones eat the yellow ones kind of thing. Right. And so, and and then it would cause them to reproduce and stuff like that. And so he had like this color shifting 
you know, in waves. Because mm. usually it was circular, right? So you get back around to the bottom of the food chain, eating the top of the food chain. So nobody was really at the top of the food chain. But it was uh, it was interesting because, yeah, it would just go in waves. And sometimes you'd have a ton of one color on there. And sometimes it'd just be kind of anyway. And there were rules about how they could move and what they could eat and stuff like that. I mean, he wrote it in Java, but it was it's an interesting mental exercise just to see, okay, how can I pull this together? How can I make it work? And then, yeah, what what can I do to make it more interesting? And sometimes more interesting is, yeah, make it perform better and things like that. Yeah, totally. I think that's all super fascinating. And sometimes it's, it's interesting to maybe use a problem you are already know well and have maybe solved in a different mm -hmm. paradigm and then like try to solve in a new paradigm right i think that's that's probably why my conway's game of of life is so popular in programmers because it's like it's very, very not that hard to to program but i mean you can apply it into different paradigms mm -hmm. and then maybe learn a bit about okay how, how do i solve it here how do i solve it there depending on the tools available like the solution might look very different but at the end of the day it's still relatively straightforward algorithmic thing you can build Yeah. Well, and, and back to Brian's approach to this, Conway's game of life, do I allow it to extend to a million spaces or two million spaces or 10 million spaces, right? And and as it expands, yeah, what am I doing to speed it up, right? To to mm -hmm. make it perform better, make it so that it's it has less of a limitation on it. And and I love kind of the experimentation thought process there. The way you were talking about that, Sasha, also reminded me of uh, Dave Thomas's approach. Every time he learns a language, he writes a markdown parser. So yeah, basically, like, like, take a problem you know well and, and yeah, and try to solve it with this new tool. And we'll certainly learn something. Yeah, that's for sure. I remember this idea, actually, I hadn't heard it for a long time, but it's back in uh, sort of the Ruby world. And someone, when they were, I think it was when they were learning Ruby, they basically, you know, you like a lot of times you just play around in the console and like try something when you're like not sure what's going to work and what's not going to work and then eventually figure it out and move on. Um, but this person uh, wrote a test every time that they were like learning something in Ruby. And then they had this whole test suite that sort of represented their knowledge of Ruby. And then I think the coolest part was that when they went to like a new version of Ruby, they could see where their knowledge broke down because the test would fail. Oh, interesting. 